y'all. How are you doing this morning? Hey, I just wanted to start off with a quick thought this morning as we head into to our worship time. I wanted to ask you the question, who and what do you worship? I know that maybe seems, I mean, like my immediate response is God alone, right? He is our only God, so of course it's Him. And we think, the reality is we think that worship sometimes is just a mental exercise that is completed when we sing a song out of our mouth, right? Or when we feel Him deeply in our hearts, but worship is so much more. Worship actually comes from the words worth, meaning value, and ship, meaning the condition or practice of. So 
That means worship is the condition of or practice of placing high value on something or someone. So let me ask you that question. Who and what do you worship? Is it God alone? Do you let the focus, every focus of your life be him? Is he the focus of your life, of, of your time, of your money, of your effort, your energy, your health? The gifts that have been given to you, is he the focus, priority over everything else? See, true worship happens when we practice putting God in front of all the other things in our lives and let him be the focus of what we think and what we do. Worship is not only important to the believer, it is essential. If we don't have God as the highest value in our lives, then we aren't truly worshiping. But when we practice valuing him above all other things, then chains begin to break and the gates of hell tremble. Think about that. Twyla Paris, a worship pastor, was quoted many years ago saying this, I worship God. I worship because God is worthy and this is the only reason that we need. But in the last few years, there are some things that I have been thinking. God uses worship to prepare our hearts to receive ministry, to prepare us to minister to others. And I believe that many battles are won in the spiritual realm when we worship. People who don't know God are drawn to him. This next song we sing, we're gonna sing is called Worthy of It All. It's kind of a special song that if you know it, I encourage you to sing it. But there's some unique phrases in here that come from Revelation 4 and 5. And it talks about 24 elders who surround Jesus. And many people, some, some theologians believe this is maybe some of the 12 leaders of the Old Testament of the tribes and the 12 disciples all together. In other words, Jesus is the only one who can bring together the Old and the New Testament. The only one who can fulfill that. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. And there are saints and angels who bow down because he is the only one, the only one who is worthy of worship. And each of them holds bowls of incense that represents the prayers of the people. Not a single one of them lost. And each one is counted as a fragrance of worship to God. So I encourage you during this song to find whatever posture it is that you need to be able to talk to God during this song. It's not about just singing or feeling. It's about talking with God and putting him first and foremost in your lives. Use this song to practice valuing God and putting him as the, your only purpose of worship. Don't just sing the songs on the screen, but think about what you want to say to God as we sing this song.
worthy, O God, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Revelation 5:12. and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So thankful that you are here this morning. If you need to grab communion, go ahead and grab it for our time later. And uh, let me pray really quick, and then uh, I'll have you stand, and we're going to go to our next song. Dear Father, thank you for this, this time before you, Father. And Lord, we know your presence is here, and we thank you for that. And Lord, uh, let our prayers that we lift up to you, I thank you that not one of them is lost, that you hear in each and every one. And as if we've had prayers in the back of the room, Lord, we know you hear every single one of these, that the Holy Spirit delivers them to you. And Lord, they are a fragrance to you. I thank you that we worship a living God. Yes, his blood was shed, but he is not dead. He is alive and he is a lion and he is roaring. Father, I pray right now that, that if we have not put you first in our lives, Lord, that we begin to practice that every decision that we make, everything that we do is for you because you are the God who delivers us. In Jesus' name, amen. He's the God who delivers. Leviticus 11.45 says, therefore, I am the God who brought you up out of Egypt to be with you. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. We are able to be holy because he has entered into our G Egypt and called us holy. Sing this out. I won't forget the 
yet? All right. You guys can have a seat really quick. Hey, there's, um, we just want to encourage you to continue to, to give towards the kingdom. Uh, there's some different ways you can give. You can see them on the, on the screen, and we encourage you to continue to be faithful in doing that to God's purposes that are here at Southwoods and beyond as well. Hey, uh, last week I sent out a text on our uh, text line. At, at, raise your hand really quick if you got that, hopefully. Um, okay. So if you have not, uh, if you did not receive that, that means you are not on our text line. And if you want to be, we are going to use that for some emergencies. We're going to use that for maybe some <clears throat> weekly uh, super important announcements that are like going to happen that week, just as reminders. So um, if you want to be a part of that, make sure you sign up. You can go to the kiosk in the back. You can do it in the lobby. You can look here on the screen. You can get on the website. There's a lot of ways that you can get on onto that text line. Um, <clears throat> but let's take a moment. I know I had you sit down, but uh, I shouldn't have done that because I want you to greet. Uh, so take a moment. You can uh, wave to people if you don't want to get up, I guess. greeting, but we want to tell you a little bit more about what's happening here at Southwoods Christian Church. My name's Lori, Pastor Greg's wife, and one of the ministry directors here at Southwoods. And there's so many things happening. I wanted to let you know, just to make sure they're on your calendar and on your radar screen. One of the things that's coming up pretty soon, not this Wednesday, but next, is our midweek. Midweek services happen midweek on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. It's just a great time to come together for prayer, for worship like this, and also a word and some fellowship. So come on over. We'd love to have you if you need a little shot in the arm. We're doing a study there on 242, Acts 242, talking about the core four and the things that the church did, the early church did, and that we're continuing to do. That Wednesday night, we'll be talking about the importance of biblical teaching and sound doctrine. And I hope that you'll come Wednesday, 6.30, March the 22nd. Also, ladies, have you heard? We're having lunch. We're having lunch together on Saturday, March 25th. And this is going to be a wonderful luncheon. We're having a guest speaker that's coming to talk to us a little bit about how to organize the chaos in your world and bring it into calm. And then one of our wonderful speakers, Terry Cass, who leads one of our Bible studies, is also going to be speaking that day on how to do the same thing on the inside, how to take the chaos that's in your world on the inside and bring to calm. Ladies, we'd love for you to come. This is a special event. It's happening on Saturday from 11.30 to 1.30. We even have child care. So if you have children, just let us know. Please sign up at the website. That way we'll have enough food and we'll have people to take care of your little ones. And it's just going to be a great way to, to get spring going. So I hope that you'll come, ladies. Also, just around the corner is going to be Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to be talking about that here in a few weeks. But before Resurrection Sunday, we always pause as a church family. We've been doing this for over 10 years to gather for one of the Lord's appointed feasts the Passover. We were singing that song about coming
coming out of Egypt. And I told Greg, we've got to sing that at Passover because that's what Passover Seder is all about. And so I hope that you'll make plans to come. It's April 5th, also a Wednesday night, 6.30, 8pm. You can sign up. It's not a full meal. So you might uh, stop and get something to eat before you come. But we will have all the elements of the Passover Seder. And we just really try to highlight Jesus. Jesus just bright and glorious in this ancient feast. He comes out again and again and again. So I hope you can come. It's always a wonderful celebration for our church family. And then finally, we've started another daily reading plan. We've just finished Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And don't let this scare you, but we are doing the book of Job, and it is about suffering, I'll tell you. But, you know, there is a lot of suffering in our world, and how do we deal with that? How do we look to the Lord when we're going through these difficult times? So join us. You can pick up a card at the information table. All this information is back there. Also at the website. We'd love to have you join us on 21, 23 days through the book of Job. And again, there are so many things here happening at Southwoods, and we're blessed to be a part of such an active church family, but we're so glad that you're here today. If you ever have any questions, feel free to call the church office or stop by the website or grab any of us. But let's continue to worship with Cody and the band. And again, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Amen. Everybody stand up for this next song.
Bye.
There's great power in that name, isn't there, of Jesus? And that's why we come every week and we do something that is one of the most important things we do, and that is participate in communion. We are reminded, just like, just like the scripture that I, I read earlier from Romans, Romans 5.12, and they sang in a mighty chorus. This is this worship service and revelation that we get to uh, peek into because John wrote it down. It says, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And the reason we worship here this morning is because there is only one who is worthy and he did it for us. There is no way each and every one of us could have taken the penalty for our own sin. We couldn't have, we couldn't have done that. We couldn't have defeated death, but Jesus did. And so we all bow down and worship and thank him for that. And when we participate in communion, it is a chance for us to remind ourselves of this fact and to remind ourselves that he is the highest value that should be in our lives. So I want you to take a few moments as you, as you participate in communion here to just talk with God. Is he your focus? If not, talk to him on it. Is he your top value? If not, talk to him. He is open and ready to talk with you.
Father, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. We thank you for your mercy toward us. We don't deserve it. We don't now. We never will. But we praise you. We praise you that we have been made worthy of relationship with you through the shed blood of Jesus. We honor you for that. And we're grateful for that. And now, Lord, as we look at your word, we just invite your Holy Spirit to enter our minds, our hearts, and reshape us more fully into the image of Jesus. We recognize that apart from your working, um, there is no hope. But with you, oh Lord, nothing is impossible. And that includes making us good, helping us to, to know you better, to walk in a relationship with you. We, we need your help in that end to that end. So would you join us now, Lord, as we open your word, speak to us, strengthen us, uh, bring joy to our hearts, give us understanding of your ways, enlighten us with your truth, and help us to help us to walk in your ways. Grateful for your grace. We lift this prayer together in the name of Jesus, and everybody agreed with me and said, amen. 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 Well, glad you made it this morning. Those of you who are on site, those of you who are joining us online, we're Thrilled that you're here. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate it very much this morning. How many of you uh, are familiar with the motto of America's postal workers? How many of you are familiar with the motto? Probably some of us have, it, it's been a while, so it, and you'll see why. But it's, the motto it technically is unofficial, but it's chiseled in granite on top of the entrance of the New York City Post Office. It goes like this, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. That interesting? That's a, isn't that not a passionate, passionate motto to engrave and chisel in stone? Yeah, I think the passions maybe waned a little bit from back when that was done, but uh, that, that was the motto that governed uh, the United States Postal Service for a lot of years. Uh, if I were to tell you that I am hopelessly in love with big, fluffy, soft, melt-in-your-mouth rolls, packed with cinnamon brown sugar filling and smothered with melted vanilla cream cheese, dripping into the middle and soaking every single finger-licking good drop. <laughs> Would that sufficiently convey that on occasion, at least, I'm a little passionate about cinnamon rolls? Would that... Would that uh, you know, you think about it, Patrick Mahomes is passionate about winning football games. Kelly Clarkson is passionate about music. Gordon Ramsay is passionate about food and cooking. And we're all passionate about something, different things. But for the next few weeks, we're going to see some of what Jesus is passionate about. And that's really important that we understand what he was and still is, and hear me, always will be passionate about. We're starting a new series I've entitled The Passion of Jesus. We're going to look carefully at the events, uh, at least some of the events leading up to his last days, just before his crucifixion. Never in Jesus' life was he more gripped by passion than during that last week before his crucifixion. I mean, he was, he was overcome by passion many times. 
And every one of us needs to understand the things that Jesus was and is and always will be passionate about. So if you have your Bible with me, we're going to get started at that with the series this morning right now. Uh, open it with me, your Bible, to two passages of Scripture. I'm asking you to go to two passages. Some of you, you know, you, you do one great, but I'm going to challenge this morning. You're going to go to two passages right off the bat, okay? So you've got to find both and open them up. Put your finger in one spot and put a finger in the other spot, and then that kind of hang on to them. We'll read them together. Uh, John chapter 2 is the first passage. It's New, two te- New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book of the New Testament. John chapter 2. The second passage is Matthew 21, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 21. So John 2, Matthew 21. In these passages, we're going to see that Jesus experienced incredibly strong, barely controllable emotions on two very similar occasions. In both instances, Jesus was at the temple in Jerusalem. On the first occasion, Jesus was beginning his ministry at the age of 30. On the second occasion, Jesus was three and a half years older and about to complete his ministry. It was just a matter of days, a few short days before his crucifixion when the second occasion took place. We need to see both events. They're different events. I don't have, some scholars want to say, oh, they're one event. No, they're not. They're two events. I don't have time to elaborate on all the reasons why that's true. We know it's the two events. But we're going to quickly read these passages. I hope you'll listen carefully for the things that Jesus was passionate about. They tend to show up in the text. In fact, I would warn you before I read these passages, sometimes we don't like these two stories, these two events in Jesus' life, because Jesus is so passionate in them that he kind of frightens us a little bit. And so I don't want that fact to frighten you. I I I tell you that to warn you so that as we read these, you'll listen carefully for the point, okay? What is Jesus passionate about in these passages? Let's look at John chapter 2 together first. And remember, this event took place at the beginning of his ministry. Here's what the Bible tells us. John 2, verse 13. Verse 13 is where we're going to start reading. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money and Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over the tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us some miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days... I'll raise it up. What, they exclaimed, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? 
Scripture explains, but when Jesus said this temple, He meant His own body. After He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered He had said this, and they believed both the Scriptures, which is to say the prophecies, and what Jesus had said. Now, this was the first time that Jesus, shall we say, passionately cleansed the temple. But it wasn't the last. It wasn't the last time. There was a second time. And Matthew 21 describes that event. Again, as I said a few moments ago, it took place just before he completed his ministry, just before his crucifixion. It took place just after he arrived in Jerusalem, just days before his crucifixion. Here's what it says, Matthew 21, verse 9, starting there. It's called the triumphal entries going on at this moment. It's just like he and crowds of people. The Bible says Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The text says the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Now think about that. The entire city of Jerusalem. And this was at a feast event. This, is, this was at the Passover time. The city's numbers multiply four or five times. It swell massive numbers of people. It's in an uproar. And the text says they're saying this. Who is this? They asked. I want to pause right there. I mean, this is the central question of history. Who is this? Who is this? For 2,000 years, people have been asking this question. And until Jesus comes, people will be asking this question. But it is the absolute central, pivotal, decisive question for every single one of us now, everyone who's ever lived. Who is this person? Is he who he claims to be, God in flesh? Is he merely a prophet, a, a good teacher? And if so, how can that be? How, could a, how can just a, a prophet or a good teacher say and claim the things that he does if that's all he is? The text goes on and says, And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple the text says, and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He's saying to me, you're all criminals. You're stealing from people. Verse 14 continues, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Jesus didn't immediately leave. He stayed. And all these people who are blind and lame start coming to him. And the text says, And he healed them. Verse 15, The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. I mean, think about this. The, the leading priests who watch him clean the temple, they see him healing people. They see these wonderful miracles. They hear the children crying out praise. And the end of verse 15 says, But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? 
Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? Now, just note to self. Most of these men had memorized the entire scripture. So this was, okay, it was. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. And then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Now these two events at the temple, they're full of passion. I mean, full of passion. And in the next few minutes, I want to quickly draw your attention to at least three things. I mean, there are three things that I want to highlight in particular that Jesus was clearly passionate about when he cleansed the temple. There probably are more than I have time to address this morning. But there, there are three things in particular that he's clearly passionate about that are just obvious on the, the surface of all of this that we need to talk about and then some that are a little deeper. But I hope you'll listen carefully because these things that he's really passionate about relate to you and me a whole lot more than we tend to think about or probably give credit for. And the first that shows up in the text is we clearly see in these two events that Jesus was passionate about the temple. I mean, that's, that's just obvious. The temple, or today as we might think of it, the church, I mean, it was something that Jesus cared dearly about. And in his example and with his words, we just look at what he says, what he does, and we see that the temple, the church, applies both places. The temple, the church, is to be a place where people are not exploited. It's to be a house of prayer. It's to be a place where there's ministry and healing and biblical truth. It's to be a place where Christ is praised by infants, children, and adults. And when Jesus shows up at the temple, sees money changers and merchants, and that they're thieves, and that they're interfering with the proper function of the temple. In fact, what they're doing is making a mockery of the very things that the, the temple's to be all about, the church to be all about. And to make matters worse, the priests weren't doing anything about it. Well, mild-mannered Jesus overheated and he personally decided to clean house and he was so angry that John 2 tells us that he made a whip from some ropes I grew up and my dad used to spank me that's, I mean that's like child abuse now I know that's how, how we think about it there's a there's, you can spank somebody in love and for their well-being, or you can spank them in anger and rage. And you can, you, it, it, a lot of it has to do with what's going on in here. And it affects, you know, what's going on in here, a little junior's life too matters, but this is kind of the picture. Jesus makes a whip out of ropes that he finds here. He personally chases everyone engaged in the corruption right out of the temple. I don't have time to go here very much, but it's probably a prophetic sign of what's coming someday. Those who abuse the church and don't treat it as it ought to be. I want you to think about that. If that's what Jesus did then, why would you conclude that he would be unconcerned if people exploit others in the church 
for money or sex or other stuff, you think he's going to be bothered by that? How do you suppose Jesus would respond today to churches that are careless about people, prayer, ministry, biblical truth, worship and praise, or other things that are just absolutely essential to the kingdom of God? If passion for God's house consumed Jesus then, don't you think it's wise to assume that it still does? That it still does? My prayer is, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on your church. Have mercy on all of us who lead. Because Jesus was and still is passionate about the temple and his church. We also learn from today's passages that Jesus was passionate about the temple. Do you notice? His body. His body. John 2, verse 19, Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders. It's a pretty heated debate there. There's are comments going back and forth. And Jesus says to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. What? They exclaim, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, verse 21 says, he meant his own body. Here's the point. Just as Jesus was passionate about what happened in his brick and mortar temple... He was very passionate about what happened in his flesh and blood temple. He was passionate about it. What's fascinating, and I won't take you down this path too much, but I want you to think about it, those of you who really know your Bibles. It's fascinating that Jesus' flesh and blood temple was torn down and destroyed before the other temple was knocked down and destroyed. There's probably reasoning behind that, and some of you maybe ought to think about that. Just reflect on it. See where it all goes. But from Jesus' perspective, His flesh and blood temple was to be a place where people were not exploited. And if you look at His life, I mean, nobody was exploited by Jesus. He was sinless, virtuous to the core of his being. His flesh and blood temple was a house of prayer, a place where ministry, healing, and biblical truth were offered to people freely. It was a place where a heavenly father was praised constantly and others were invited to join him in that praise. And what's true for Jesus' body is to be true for your body and mine. This is God's plan. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 says this, Don't you realize that your body, your flesh and blood body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. I mean, we live in a culture that we just think, as long as I don't hurt anybody else, I can do whatever I want. If you're a believer in Christ, 
No, you can't. Because who does that body belong to? Jesus. You do not belong to yourself, verse 19 says. Verse 20, for God bought you with a high price. What was the price? The shed blood of Jesus. His flesh and blood temple was torn down, crucified, so that yours could live. You've been bought with a high price, so you must honor God with your body, with your temple. Friends, some of us haven't realized this before, but the dwelling place of God, His temple, is your body. Your body. And Jesus is passionate about that temple, passionate about your body, passionate about you. The temple, He's passionate about the temple, which is your body. I want you to think about this. If my temple or yours is defiled by exploitation of others or neglect of spiritual matters or hidden sins, I mean, Jesus sees that. Just like he saw the state of the brick and mortar temple in ancient times. And he's waiting. He's waiting for each of us as the priest of our temple. You getting the picture here? As the priest of my temple, he's waiting for me to do something about whatever is amiss in my life. He's eagerly waiting for us to grant him access to every room in our house, every, every part of our soul, so that he can cleanse it properly and hear me, clean it without anger. Many of us don't understand that's part of why he ascended into the heavens to give all of us time and space so that now that he's made grace available, it's so that we can choose of our own free will to order our lives and our hearts around him and his priorities and, and invite him into our hearts that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds and that we might no longer conform to the patterns of this world, that we might become authentically good and godly by the presence of the Holy Spirit infusing us and filling us and transforming not only the way we think, but the way we behave, the way we speak, the way we live. We do that of our own free will. He doesn't have to get amped up. He doesn't. Do you know one of the primary reasons that Jesus got so angry in John 2 and in Matthew 21? You know, probably the primary reason, really. The priests who were in charge of the temple didn't feel the need to change anything. <laughs> Particularly when you show up at John 2 and you kind of correct things, and three and a half years later you come back and they're as bad as they were or worse... He didn't indict them for being thieves back, you know, the first time, right? The implication is that it's like metastasized. It's just kind of grown like cancer, gotten worse. The priests didn't want to do anything about it. 
They profited from the money changers. Here's what you and I need to understand. Jesus is never upset with the humble and the repentant. You'll never find an instance of that in Scripture. His patience only wears thin when the proud and the repentant enjoy their evil. And sometimes double down on it. So my question for you is, will you humbly invite Jesus into your heart? Will you confess to him anything that needs to change? Just come clean with him. Be honest about it. Jesus is ready to come and clean up your life and mine if we'll open the door and let him in. There may be a table or two turned over sometimes in the process. But if we'll humbly come to him, it doesn't have to be an anger. And it won't be an anger. It'll be with compassion. And he'll give you understanding and wisdom about what's happening. But we must remember that Jesus is passionate about his temple, which is your body. Your body. Friends, when we let Jesus in, what we're going to find is as he carries out his work in us, our bodies are increasingly going to become, think about this, our bodies will increasingly become houses of prayer. They'll increasingly become places where ministry, healing, biblical truth are lovingly stored and selflessly offered to people around us in need. Our bodies will become places where our Heavenly Father is praised. And it won't be because we're perfect. Because we never will be. We're always going to be in need of repair. Just like your home. You ever get done with the repairs and the maintenance on your house? Answer me. No. You don't. You get the kitchen remodel, and the next thing you notice, you go, oh my goodness, the bathroom needs it now. And so you turn your attention to the bathroom, and you get that all kind of spotless, and you walk out of there, and then you notice, oh, we've got to go. The garage has become a mess with all these tools and stuff, and ah, we've got to work on the garage. This temple is absolutely no different. But that doesn't mean that it can't be a house of prayer. It doesn't mean that it can't be a place where ministry and healing and biblical truth are lovingly and selflessly offered to people. It doesn't mean that it can't be a place where our Heavenly Father is praised, and hear me, and God is pleased. God is pleased. So open your heart to God. If you've not done that, do that today. Not next week or next month. Today. Just open your heart to Him and invite Him in. He wants to clean house. 
And you'll thank Him for it. You'll thank Him for it. You know, since Jesus dreams of each of us being a house of prayer, you know, we've been trying to give everybody an opportunity uh, last week, this week in particular, just a focused opportunity. Obviously, it kind of goes on all the time, but we wanted to give focus opportunity to it by our little prayer wall back here. Maybe some of you came in this morning didn't see it, but we got a little prayer wall back here. If you remember, if you were with us last week, you know that there were, you know, people... The idea of the prayer wall, you got those little pens and pieces of paper in your seat when you came in this morning. Uh, the idea is if you got a request, a need in your life, uh, some area where healing is required, where ministry needs to take place, where biblical truth is missing, some place where, you know, where you need God to show up, maybe it's in a relationship or in your life in some way, you can jot that on one of those cards and pin it to the wall back there. And the idea is, you know, Leave a prayer there and take a prayer. Take somebody else's prayer and make it your prayer. We're just kind of praying for each other's stuff in this way. And, uh, and we encouraged you, you know, last week, I encourage you, you know, if you have a breakthrough in one of these areas in the next few days, I, my encouragement is just email us, let us know so we can celebrate with you. We can rejoice in what God has done. But for those of you who posted prayers last week, thank you for participating. I hope that you've been able to continue praying for the, the prayers that maybe you took. Your prayer request cards have been coming and going all week long. It's been kind of fascinating and fun to watch the board and just to see, see it all happen. Um, our elders, we had an elders meeting Wednesday night. We came over and we prayed just for the, because there's still some prayers on the wall there that uh, were left later in the day. And so... Uh, you know, there are prayers there. You can take one of those and put yours there. But it's fun to kind of pray over that list. And, and I know others have done that. Or staff have done it as well. But my encouragement to you is to keep praying. Keep praying. Because as Jesus' dream for this temple, as we as its priests, I'm the priest of this temple, Nobody can make this temple do anything that I don't allow to happen. This is my temple. I have complete domain over it, and you have over yours. People can try to coerce you into doing things. You can resist them if you want to. It might cost you to do that, but you still have authority over your temple. Jesus' dream is that my temple, my body, will be a house of prayer, a place of ministry, a place of praise. He wants that for all of us. So I hope that as we wrap up here that you'll head back there in the wall and just engage with us on all this, all right? Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer together. And then I hope you'll hang around a few minutes and stop back by the, the wall back there. Uh, if you happen to not have a card or pen nearby, just grab one nearby. There's, there's spaces there. And uh, before we pray, if you need to invite Jesus into your life, I encourage you to do that even this morning as we pray together. Maybe you need to be baptized. You know, later today, we're going to baptize someone. Uh, if you'd like to be baptized today, uh, 2 o'clock today, just join us here. You've never seen a baptism. You're curious what that looks like. You can come see what that's like.
Uh, maybe you'd like prayer for some specific need in your life, something you, you, you're going to put it on the board, but you also want somebody, you know, like face-to-face to pray with you. I mean, we'd be happy to do that for you. But um, stop by the prayer board as you head out, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you for being here today. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for your faithfulness, your promised presence, and for the things that you're passionate about. Thank you that all of us who put our faith in you and who endeavor to allow you to rule and reign as Lord in our temples, one day we'll receive resurrected temples and we'll be priests of that and responsible for far more than we can comprehend at this point. We'll be blessed beyond description. We thank you that you're passionate about these things. That you've already purchased our cleansing and forgiveness on the cross. And we just convey to you, Lord, even now in prayer, we need your help to cleanse these temples. Body, soul, spirit, mind. Only you can do it. Help us, Lord. We ask that you'd be gentle with us as you do it, as gentle as you can be, but that you would cleanse all that's broken and flawed in us, and there's much, much we're aware of and much that we're not. But Lord, as you do that, we promise to give you credit for all the good that results as a byproduct of that. We promise to acknowledge you as Savior and Lord from now till eternity. And we're grateful uh, that we, as your children, are not destined for wrath, for your anger. Because we know that the anger that you showed, your passion that flowed out of you over the state of of the temple in ancient times was but a microscopic fraction of your passion for your kingdom. Thank you that you're merciful toward us. May we leave this place empowered by your spirit and guided by your word to walk in your ways. Thanks for your grace. It's in Christ's name that we lift this prayer. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.